0: Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health
1: perspective. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today. I'm your host, Dr. Aaron Elmore. My guest today is Pam Petruczewski. Pam has more than 30 years experience designing and implementing programs to integrate behavioral health and primary care services. Her work includes the program Getting Candid, framing the conversation around youth substance use prevention funded by the CDC and Diamond, a depression care management program that received the 2010 Gold Award from the American Psychiatric Association. Pam holds a master's degree in counseling and psychological services and is a member of the Motivational Interviewing Network of Trainers, otherwise known as MINT. Pam, we're so excited to have you here with us today because we're going to be discussing motivational interviewing. Thank you so much for making the time to join us. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Good. Well, as we get started, do you want to share a little bit about what brought you into the work that you're now doing with motivational interviewing? Yeah, sure. Um, You know, it was
0: probably 10 or 15 years ago now that as part of the work I was doing at the time, helping programs that were trying to implement depression care. So primary care, general practitioners trying to think about how to support people that had depression. And they were hiring a bunch of what we called care managers. And those care managers in turn wanted to better understand how to do, you know, a little bit of supportive coaching. And we turned to some other MI or motivational interviewing experts, and I was really hooked. I found that it it made a big difference in the way people collaborate and partner in talking about change.
1: Yeah, so you you came into it through the depression door, if you will, mm-hmm. and I know motivational interviewing is really effective in a lot of different scenarios. Could you maybe give us a definition of motivational interviewing, just as we get started talking today, for our audience who may not be familiar?
0: Yeah, in fact. As a, a new member of this MINT group, I was privy to learning that the definition is evolving. Mm. And so I'll give you the latest and greatest, which is it is it's considered a particular way of talking with another person or with people about change and about growth. To say a little more about that, that, what that means is that I, I would take the perspective of trying to be a helpful guide in my communication with that other person or people where I'm not trying to fix them or tell them what to do, but to help guide their thinking.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And I would want to do that by tapping into empathy and curiosity and how I can best empower that other person by being respectful to them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm curious what the guiding part is toward. So is it typically, like my understanding of it, maybe it's the older definition that it's typically guiding towards a certain type of behavior change. Is that accurate or would you describe it differently?
0: Right. And that is where it's evolved. So certainly that is, you know, an end goal Mm -hmm. what they have been finding in the MI literature and experiences that if we're too focused on just getting to that end goal, we might not be guiding as helpfully as we could be if we thought about it as perhaps we'll get to that end goal, but ultimately we want to help this other person grow. Mm -hmm. And that can look like a lot of different things. So they might get to that particular end goal of change. They might not, but they might have still grown in the process.
1: Okay. So maybe taking steps towards that goal or just growing in a quote-unquote better direction. So there is still some moral guiding from the therapist, if you will. Yeah.
0: And it might be a behavior change, but it might be just a way of thinking differently. Okay. Right.
1: Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. And so it sounds like in some ways it's very Rogerian where you're letting the client lead in a way and it's empathic and warm, but there is this sort of guiding element behind it where you're headed in a certain direction. Okay. Makes sense. Thank you for clarifying. I wasn't aware of that new definition. It's really interesting.
0: Yeah. It's very exciting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And in general, what type of person, or maybe if you want to use this language, what type of issues would you say benefit most from motivational interviewing?
0: What's kind of cool about this is it started in the field of addictions and helping people, you know, resolve or make behavior changes when it comes to using or not using substances, but it's really evolved to apply to a lot of different things. And I think that definition of talking about growth helps with that, too, right? So where there is a potential change in mindset, in behavior, in thinking, there's a space for this, because it's much more about following a process of having that empathy, being curious, using some specific listening skills. And the other person, in a sense, provides the topic, provides the Mm -hmm. content. So I might be struggling with an addiction and my goal is to no longer use, but I might be struggling with addiction and not sure if I want to stop using Mm -hmm. and I might just need to have someone talk with me and help me think differently about what that addiction means for me. And it might be something completely outside of addictions. This could be around eating differently or having a different, better relationship with someone in my life. It could be a a mental health topic, depression, anxiety. Mm -hmm. Uh, Really, it's amazing that this has been approached in so many ways, well beyond just mental health topics.
1: Yeah. So really it's used any place that people want to make progress, but it's up to the client to choose essentially what area they want to work on. And then as a therapist, you come alongside them and help them in that way. Not necessarily the therapist saying, we're going to use motivational interviewing to X, Y, and Z, but it would be the client leading that discussion.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You, you certainly would want to be, it's not meant to be this secret, you know, therapeutic thing I'm magically doing. <laughs> a secret so, magic tool. <laughs> it's, it's actually great to say, you know, I'm learning this new approach or I've been trained in this and I want to provide a conversation in a way that engages this thing we call motivational interviewing and open to hearing where you want to go with that.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And that makes sense, right? Because I mean, change isn't necessarily something that happens all at once. So I like that concept of it being towards a certain growth potential as opposed to achieving a behavioral goal.
0: And that is a huge principle of this, right? Change is not a straight line. It is very rarely, I would say, a straight line. It's Mm -hmm. a very long process. And this honors that by weaving in and out and and taking it as the person's readiness evolves.
1: Yeah, yeah. What are some of the core elements of motivational interviewing? I remember a few from my grad school days, but tell me more because you clearly are up to date on this.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so the... I think the main thing that is where we all have to start with and continue to revisit is what we call the spirit of mm. motivational interviewing, which is about us, not the client necessarily. It's how I come into these conversations. What is my own attitude and mindset? So it involves saying, am I ready to be a partner to this other person? Mm. And that means thinking about where are their power differentials and what does it mean if I'm the adult and I'm talking with a child or I am a therapist and they are my, quote, patient or client. So how do we level the playing field and recognize where there's power differential so that we can have a true partnership? Mm -hmm. There's also this idea of acceptance. So I'm here to Help support this person and recognize that they have and should have some choice and some autonomy. And I have to accept that there aren't many things I can make another person do. So that give and take is part of it. Compassion is a big part of the spirit, being ready to meet the person in whatever space they're at and really want to be there for their own well being. And then the newest wording of the components of the spirit is empowerment, hmm. which is bringing kind of a lot of those other ones together, right? So how do I hmm. empower and help the other person feel like they have some control and some ability to think about what they want to do? So my mindset and my way of being embodies the spirit.
1: Yeah. Beautiful um, So that's the main one. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, there are skills, I'm sure, and techniques that are used. Do you want to speak a little bit on that as well? I mean, yeah, the the attitude or the spirit makes a lot of sense. But then what yeah. does it actually look like? What are you actually doing?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so we live that spirit through using particular skills that are, are known as open-ended questions, affirmations, reflections, and summaries. And they have an acronym of ORS, O A R S. So open ended. Like there's always question. an
1: acronym in our field. They always know, have an acronym.
0: <laughs> and the fun thing about this one is we say, okay, use your oars when you're stuck, use an oar. That's cute. I like that. Right. <laughs> so an open ended question is is, and using the spirit is to say, how do I stay curious and say, well, what would that look like for you? Hmm. Or how have you been feeling? The opposite of that is when we kind of just do those very pointed, specific questions. Where we might just make an assumption and say, "Are you feeling better since our last session?" Mm-hmm. That really doesn't open it up enough for the other person to do much with. They're going to either agree with you or nod their head. We want to engage with them, so we want to ask a question in an open-ended way. What right. have you been feeling since our last session?
1: Right. And with the power differential, they may not feel comfortable to really tell you if you frame it that way. Or, I mean, or not, not...
0: correct you exactly. But I'd say, "Are you feeling better?" They might not feel like they can say, no, I'm not.
1: exactly. <laughs>
0: so that's the open-ended questions. Affirmations are where we can affirm some strengths, some positives, things we're recognizing in the other person, building up their own positive regard. Reflecting, you know, a lot of people in, in behavioral health think about what we talk about is reflective listening. So repeating back something we heard, clarifying, using some different phrasing, to see if we're understanding the deeper meaning that might be underneath what the person's telling us. And then good old summaries of pulling it all together and highlighting the key points.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm getting the sense it's just a very welcoming, grounding kind of attitude. And like you mentioned earlier, a partnership or coming alongside the client. And I can you even feel that in the way that you're talking with me, which is very process oriented, but I can tell you embody that in your conversations. And it's it's really, yeah, it's powerful, you know, it makes
0: sense. It is. And and it is something that I, I have come to appreciate and see that it really has to be genuine. This isn't just something you turn on and you turn off. You know, it is about do I really feel and believe this? Do I believe that? coming to someone who is really struggling with something they're thinking about making a change in, do I come to them with that true acceptance? Do I come to them with empathy? And we're human. We all go in and out of feeling you know, a certain way. So it's checking ourselves and not trying to run the show for the other person.
1: Mm-hmm. Remembering it's ultimately... Their decision, which sometimes is hard when you do want to help or you really are guiding towards a particular direction, it's still ultimately their choice, which is it's hard to hold that tension. So it sounds like motivational interviewing is really about that tension in some ways.
0: It is, and keeping ourselves in check and not being too passive either. This isn't about just sitting back and saying, Well, there's nothing I can do, they got to make their own decisions. We are a guide,
1: Mm -hmm. we
0: are. You know, if you go on a tour, you expect the guide (laughs) to walk you through the exhibits. You also hope there's enough space where you can ask some questions outside of what they might have been telling you. And it's kind of thinking about it in that way.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. You're not really trying to get rid of the power differential in some ways because it needs to be there because you are the guide, but you're really trying to present it in such a way where the person is still comfortable to challenge you or question you or engage. So more about acknowledging the power differential, maybe as opposed to getting rid of it entirely.
0: Yeah. Cause you may not be able to, or you may right. want to say, Hey, everything's the same or equal. And it, that isn't going to be the case. In right. fact, I like to say to a client or whomever I'm talking with, you know, there's, there's really two experts in the room right now. If you've come to mm-hmm. me for, Family therapy, clearly, you know, I have some experience in that. I have a degree in that, whatever you have, but I don't know what it's like to be you and your family. You're an expert in your own family. And that let's take those two parts of the expertise and bring them together.
1: Yeah. I like that framing a lot. It reminds me, I think I've heard before, like the client's expert on their own life. Right. Yeah. But obviously they're coming to you for help. So that makes, I like that framing very much.
0: Yes. They don't want you to sit back and just say, well, what do you think? <laughs> and they don't want us to say, well, here's what I think you right. should do. It's that right. balancing act of the two.
1: We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Continuing education is both a requirement and a learning opportunity, but finding the right CE provider can be challenging. AATBS, a triad company, offers continuing education for psychologists, social workers, marriage and family therapists, counselors and behavior analysts CE courses are available both individually and as part of our new all access pass all access pass provides a library of over 250 unique courses that's more than 800 hours of CEs with new courses being added every month as a special offer behavioral health today listeners can save 15% on CE purchases visit us at aatbs.com/bht and enter promo code BHT15 during checkout That's aatbs.com slash B-H-T. Check out our library and check off your CE requirements today. Well said, yes. Okay, we've talked about the spirit or attitude of motivational interviewing and some core skills. Is there anything else you want to share about, practically speaking, what motivational interviewing does or looks like? You know, I would...
0: I'd say the other thing of it is, you know, and you said it before is, you know, so what do you actually do? And so those skills I mentioned are what you do and you do them in the framework of this spirit or attitude of helpfulness and guiding. And then ultimately you're walking yourself through a process of using tasks that we call engaging, focusing and evoking and planning. And so what I mean by those is, you know, the other person has to feel involved or engaged. So I have to attend to that. Are they feeling heard? Are they feeling invested in the conversation? If not, I got to stay there. That's Mm -hmm. a fundamental task that has to happen. When there's been some engagement or we're both feeling like we're moving in the same or we want to move together, then we wanna focus because this is meant to be a guide. So it isn't just a, let's talk about a 100 different things. If I'm gonna really apply MI, I wanna make sure we're both wanting to talk about addiction or we're both wanting to talk about the struggles you're having in your relationship. So when we're both focused and we might have to refocus if we you know, end up going in too many directions, we're also evoking, we're continually checking in with the other person. We're finding out where are you at with this? What do you think you might do next? Or can I rephrase that and see if what I'm thinking is where you're going? So mm-hmm. evoking and drawing out from the other person. And then we get to planning. And I I, I think what happens is a lot of times we think that helping someone think about change means just coming up with a plan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that plan is only going to be as good as the time we've spent investing in, engaging, focusing, and evoking. Then right. the plan can usually come together much easier.
1: Yeah, so it sounds like you're spending, well, in the format of models of therapy, you're spending a long time in the introductory phase, if you will, of getting to know the client and making sure you both agree on the goals. And it seems like that is a very slow dance to make sure you're both really ready to go. And then you enter into the next phase of planning.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think realistically, big changes and hard changes don't happen in the blink of an eye. So it is about investing in those other stages. That said, sometimes we don't have the luxury of time or we're mm-hmm. in just a one time session with someone or one. we don't know if there'll be future conversations. So how do we still maximize the time we have? That's where it comes back to how are people most motivated? They're not motivated usually by just being given a plan and saying, here's what you should do. They're motivated by feeling invested, having that engagement, being in the same headspace as the person helping them, and having their thoughts taken into account. Mm -hmm. And so the planning might not even happen when you're with the other person. But if you've been engaging and focusing and evoking, they'll take the plan and do with it what they will. So it's really a gift, I think, to spend the time engaging, focusing and evoking. And plans will
1: come as they will. No, that makes sense. Yeah. Because if they're really motivated and have thought through all of those preliminary items and not preliminary in the sense that they're not important, but just that they come first, then they're empowered. They could figure out the plan on their own, but how nice if you are able to see them long enough to help them carry that plan out and troubleshoot it and everything.
0: And and I think it helps strengthen the plan, whatever it may look like, because plans change, right? Yes. A lot of us might have said, oh, it's January, we're supposed to do a New Year's resolution, and so we come up with a thing. Well, <laughs> we get sidetracked, or we get distracted, or we say forget it. So these early parts of this work... If I'm really fortunate to talk with someone that has MI experience and they have me thinking about this in deeper, meaningful ways, and they've really engaged with me around what is important to me, those are the things I'll come back to when I'm revisiting whatever my plan might look like.
1: That makes sense. Yeah. And on the topic of New Year's resolution. So we're now sort of mid January, which is maybe some people are still going strong, I hope, but typically people start to sort of Peter off and, you know, our older habits get in the way. So how just curious, you know, curious, how could someone use motivational interviewing to maintain their new year's resolution or perhaps adjust it? Right. If the plan needs adjusting to get a second wind at this point. <laughs>
0: You know, yeah, I think so many of us are conflicted about this. And what is the readiness to do this, you know, I think is a big part of any MI conversation and it applies in New Year's resolutions. Am I feeling pressured to make a New Year's resolution because that's what social media's got going on these days? Do I want to? Have I made one and I want to make sure I'm continuing to do it? So, I, you know, it's it's kind of that kind of start of where am i in my readiness for this if it's an internal drive then i'm tapping into it's actually what we call change talk in motivational mm-hmm. interviewing what is my own change talk do i have the desire do i have an ability to do the thing do i have reasons is there something that is more urgent than that and it's a need am i ready to be committed and and we don't have to check all those boxes Again, that's the plan, but it's the thinking and the, if I'm in conversation with someone and they use MI, they're drawing those things out of me. What what Mm -hmm. would make you want to get more exercise in 2023? Mm -hmm. Or what do you feel is your ability to do that? What could get in the way? Those open-ended questions come back into it. And ultimately, you know, what compels a person to set goals at this time of year or back off from that? It's understanding that deeper part of it and then not assuming or expecting sweeping change just from one one off conversation. Maybe mm-hmm. they make forward steps. Maybe there's growth in their thinking, but their behavior hasn't changed. You know, that's the normal, natural evolution of any self-improvement, I suppose, is tracking the the small steps along the way. And MI, I think, helps facilitate that.
1: Yeah. And I like how you made a distinction between behavior change or output and even just the mindset shift. Cause I think that's hard because I feel like we frame most new year's resolutions, for example, as very concrete and behavioral, but yeah, maybe changing the way you think about something or changing your shame spiral in your mind is actually an incredible step forward. Even if you haven't made any behavioral changes yet. So I like that that distinction is looking for progress in many ways. So maybe that could help somebody who's feeling very upset that they have not stuck to their goal.
0: Yeah. And isn't there so much expectation to do that? So, you know, you can change. You can rewrite your goal. You can change. You can drop it. I was in a meeting recently where they wanted everybody to go around and talk about one thing they want to do in the new year. And I, I just I couldn't come up with anything in the moment. So I said, my goal is to think about a goal. And that's enough. Some people had lofty goals. Some had small goals. It's all good. It's, you know, that's part of, I think that empowerment of saying, you know, what is best for you and what you need. And you have the ability to change that too.
1: Yeah. I wanted to ask about that actually, small goals versus lofty goals. I was just talking with a friend about this. Do you feel like maybe you'll say it depends on the person, but do you feel like it's better to make small practical changes, or as we in the field refer to as smart goals so that you don't enter a shame spiral, but then sometimes maybe you're not thinking big enough, or do you think it's better to make really lofty, ridiculous goals that inspire you? But of course you probably won't meet them. What, what is, does there any research on what's effective (laughs) or what would you say to that? I think the word that
0: comes to my mind is picking something that is meaningful to you.
1: Mm, Right. Okay.
0: And I say that because that's, I guess, unfortunately, that's where the depends comes in. But, you know, if it is a big deal for me to just set out my running shoes because that is meaningful, that is a meaningful visual cue, but that's all I do is set out the shoes. Great. Set out the shoes. You know, if I say, well, that means nothing to me, that for me doesn't fit what I'm trying to do, and I need to actually, set out the shoes, put on the shoes and run six miles, then it's so it's tapping into what is meaningful.
1: Mm. And I really like that. That's a good way. Maybe I'm really,
0: maybe I'm really lofty in one area and I'm really minimal in another area. So, you know, that can vary as well. I think sometimes we have these absolute thoughts of I have to go big or go home on everything. Maybe I go little over here, but I go big over here. And then Mm -hmm. what is a meaningful next step for me? Maybe I Mm want to go from putting out the shoes to running 10 miles. Maybe I want to go from putting out the shoes to putting them on and walking around my house. Yeah. (laughs) That's okay, too. So that's where one size doesn't fit all, right? It's what is meaningful for you.
1: I love that answer. Thank you. Yeah, that makes sense. I will tell my friend. (laughs) (laughs) No, it makes sense, though, because it's like you're making a distinction again between the vision, which could be lofty or not. And then the step, the next step to get there, which in some categories could be a big step. And sometimes it could be a little step, but either way you're moving towards something. So well Well, said.
0: And I think a good person, a good practitioner of motivational interviewing doesn't make the assumption that they know. So I might want to say, hey, could you just go for a 10 mile run tomorrow? Well, who am I to say that's what they should do? Or I might go too small and say, oh, what if you just put your shoes out? So rather than picking the thing, asking them, what would be a meaningful first step for you? And that's where they decide, you know, just getting the shoes in front of my face would be a big deal. Or they might yeah. say that, that's nothing for me. That sounds lame. I would rather. So it's, it's taking it out of our own head and saying for you, what would be a good first step?
1: Absolutely. And yeah, that's The, cl- the client led aspect again, makes yeah. sense. Good. Okay. Do you have an example or story that you could share about somebody who either partook in motivational interviewing and found it successful?
0: Well, I have to caution that when I do trainings, I often say, you know, what is a measure of success, just like we talk about what is a successful goal. I mean, the True. person that put the shoes out, if that's success, that's success. So, ultimately, I think the goal of a person using MI is to say am I meeting this person where they're at and using the spirit check that's success. Okay. And then are they feeling heard and involved? And, you know, so those things in mind, I've had people take training and coaching and come back and report. What I say is, you know, how did it go? I've had someone say, you know, my partner and I are on different pages when it comes to COVID vaccine. And I keep harping on them, this is what I think. This, is, And they said, I just decided to sit back, hear them out, not try to change their mind, honor their autonomy, empathize with where they're coming from. And what they say is success is we're still in relationship. We still respect each other. We're still having conversations. Did the end goal of a behavior change happen? No but was there growth in both people's thinking? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So those are the kinds of stories I often hear. I was doing a training in person and some of the staff were crisis intervention folks and they were kind of in and out because of the nature of the work. They had to attend a crisis. And one person had to leave and she came back and said that she had to go to a, a young person's house because the parents called and said, Teen locked themselves in the bathroom and wouldn't go to school. And again, her success wasn't, I got the kid to come out of the room and go to school and get all A's. Her success was I didn't bang on the door and insist she come out. I just sat and I listened and I told her I'm not here to fix. And just building some kind of trust And having that young person feel heard is the starting of hopefully further growth. Mm -hmm. And we never know where these things might go.
1: Yeah, that's a beautiful story. It kind of reminds me, I used to work at a school for kids of elementary up to high school, and there's a few school refusal cases And it reminds me a lot, there is one where the parents had tried literally everything, right? Like bribing and forcing and fights and arguments and just literally everything. And they were at their wits' end. And we tried just engaging in imagination because it was more elementary school student. And so, you know, they started this process of I don't want to go to school. And it's like, oh, well, what would you want to do today instead? Would you want to go to the mountains? Would you want to go to Disneyland? And the whole way to school, they were just dreaming and talking and you know, and then all of a sudden the kid was at school. I mean, obviously not day one, but (laughs) it's that idea, right? That same motivational interviewing technique of, yeah, it's hard to go to school. And what would you want to do instead? And it just sort of helped the child feel heard and loved. And like, it wasn't a power struggle anymore. So yeah, I could see this really applying in a lot of situations like that.
0: That's a really great example of another phrase we often use, which is coming alongside, Mm. right. And rather than bumping up against this the kid has to go to school. I got to tell them they got to go to school. Just coming alongside of them, honoring that that's how they're feeling, helping them think about some other things and eventually making progress in whatever way that might look.
1: Right. Right. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Good examples. (laughs) I'm sure some of our listeners are thinking of people in their lives, whether clients or partners or whoever that they may want to use some of these techniques with do you have anything that you'd want to address regarding that
0: yeah so certainly there's lots of ways and places to get mi training and it's not just for clinicians it was really intended by the by the people who started it to make it very accessible and open to people so you know look into it i think we're going to provide some resources later but i think so much of it is about having our own check in with ourselves. So if I am interested in this kind of approach, it starts with to what degree am I ready to bring the spirit to the conversation I'm about to have? Am I in a mindset where I'm ready to draw on my empathy for this other person, to be curious about what it's like to be in their shoes? Can I acknowledge the power differentials if they exist? Or if I assume they don't, am I ready to check in and find out for the other person? Do they feel that that, that's there? Really having that mindset of empathy, curiosity, because without the, we call those like relational pieces. Mm -hmm. If I don't have that, the techniques
1: are going to fall flat. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's about the approach and the attitude that you bring to the conversation. Mm -hmm. And, And
0: knowing that sometimes we're not feeling it. And if I'm not ready to be in that space? What do I need to do to either get into it or talk with someone else to recognize what are my biases or my, you know, challenges with having empathy? Because that's okay. We're human. We're not always feeling that. And so what do I need to do to be in that kind of a headspace?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. It reminds me of when earlier you said that success could just be maintaining respect for each other or hearing each other out. Yeah, because that is and easier said than done. Yeah. Right. And
0: being honest about that, I think, you know, I I, I think too, we can get in a trap as, as clinicians where people do come to us expecting us to fix or to tell them what to do. But that ends up being a trap because if I tell you what to do without taking into account what you might want or feel, you might still not feel satisfied. Right. Just yeah. tell me what to do. Well, here's what you should do. But that's not going to work for me. <laughs> so You know, having that honesty, too, to say, I have some ideas. I also want to know what you've been thinking about or what would success look like for you by the end of this visit or by, you know, the end of the month or whatever it might be. Are we making progress in the way you were hoping? Right. These questions that really facilitate the other person's thinking Mm -hmm. to be such an opportunity for both, both
1: parties. Absolutely. Yeah. It's reminding me, we did a podcast on trying to find a therapist and things that are positive and red flags to look out for. And one of the red flags was specifically somebody who tells you what to do right away without <laughs> knowing anything about you or who you are. And yeah, nobody really wants that. I mean, of course people are coming for help and they may be in crisis and, you know, we're there to be supportive, but it's very different than telling them this should be your goal or this is what you need to be doing. So exactly like how you explain that. Yeah. Well, where could somebody learn more about motivational interviewing?
0: Ah, well, my first go-to is the Mint website, which is Mint stands for Motivational Interviewing Network of Trainers. That's really the the go-to international group of people that have had additional experience in this area. Their website's motivationalinterviewing.org. Courses okay. are there, trainings by fellow mint trainers such as myself. And then I work for the National Council for Mental Wellbeing, and and we offer MI training and and lots of other resources around mental health and substance use access, policy, investing in the workforce. Our website is thenationalcouncil.org, and you can always put thenationalcouncil.org slash motivational interviewing. And we have trainings that we do regularly. I've got one tomorrow. (laughs) We do them roughly monthly. So you'll see lots of trainings there. You'll see we do organizationally tailored trainings as well. And you'll see myself and a couple other trainers listed if you want more info. Okay.
1: So that's a really good resource to look up and we will put those in the show notes so people can access those links. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It's really an honor to speak with somebody who's such an expert on motivational interviewing. It was really fun and interesting. So appreciate you giving up the time. Thank you. And good luck on your presentation tomorrow. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you. Although I'm not talking at them, I'm talking with them. Since of course. A training, right? So it's, it's all about engagement and I try to live that in the trainings as well.
1: Yeah, embody the motivational interviewing yeah. principles. That makes sense. Well, again, we're just so grateful to have you here with us today. And I want to also remind our listeners that this episode, its resources, and all of our other shows can be found on our webpage at triadhq.com BHT. You can visit triadhq.com BHT today and explore our archive. And thank you, our listeners for joining in on the conversation. We appreciate you being here with us and look forward to having you back with us next time on behavioral health today